A very good morning, church. Those who are joining us online, a very good morning to you and thank you for taking time to join us. Today we are going to continue um, the book of Ruth. We are using uh, Bishop Gordon Wong's book called The Power of Love. Right? Uh, very good book. If you can, purchase one and get one uh, to read for yourself. I do encourage you to get one. Uh, but it's a continuation. And today we are talking on Ruth chapter 3. Right? So Pastor Anthony and Pastor Mihi have talked on 1 and 2. And today's chapter is actually the story's climax. Okay? It's like a romantic show where the male and female lead get together. Right? Better than uh, Squid Game. Right? Because Squid Game got a lot of killing. This one, no killing. Okay? Romantic story. But in the romantic story, there are also questionable actions done by the female lead. So let's get down into it and ask God to open our hearts and minds to hear from Him. To hear what this story has to say to us today. Come, let's pray. Father, as we hear your word from Ruth chapter 3, may you enlighten us. May you open our hearts and minds to hear from you. So Holy Spirit, come and fill our hearts. Come with your almighty presence. Be it whether we are at home, whether we are watching online, even watching on the go, or even sitting in this beautiful sanctuary. Father, may your real tangible presence come and minister to us. So Lord, we give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So before I continue to explain to you Ruth chapter 3, let me do a little bit of recap, right? Because it's been a few weeks since we talked about the book of Ruth. Uh, in Ruth chapter 1, Pastor Anthony shared about this sad story by a lady named Naomi who lost her husband and two sons. She was very angry with her life. And she said to God, Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Call me bitter because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty-handed. Right? Empty-handed. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Even though Naomi was devastated and angry, Pastor Anthony shared this and reminded us that God cares for ordinary people. You and me, right? We are ordinary people. He also reminded us that God can handle our emotions. We can come before Him with our emotions. So it's really okay not to be okay. God also answers prayers in the most unexpected way, like in the form of a seed. God answers prayers also in the presence of a quiet, enduring, sacrificial, steadfast love. And God answers prayers through you, you and me. What an amazing and loving God. Well, Pastor Mihi spoke on Ruth chapter 2. If you have forgotten, she has reminded us about God's providential love. What amazing providential love that God already knows what's going to happen beforehand. Even before you can uh, think of it, before you can act on it, God knows. So we can trust God in His providence in our life and also in His love towards us, which is tender and transformative. What an amazing God, right? So we reach to this stage right now. We are at chapter 3. Chapter 3. And let me read to you this wonderful story uh, so that you are familiar with what we are going to talk about today. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, 
and get dressed in your best clothes and go down to the threshing floor. But don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, right, uncovered his feet and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? He asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger man, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are women of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of your family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be, uh, be recognized. And he said, no one must know that a woman had, that a woman had came that a woman came to the threshing floor. No one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, "Bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out." When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, "How did it go, my daughter?" Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and said, He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Right? Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. So this is the word of the Lord. Now from this passage, we know that Naomi loved Ruth to the extent that she wanted Ruth to find a home where she will be well provided for. So she advised Naomi, right, as a mother-in-law, and instructed Naomi to target Boaz by washing up, putting on expensive perfume, maybe Calvin Klein or whatever brand that, you, that she likes, you know, and dress in the best clothes and wait for him at the threshing floor. And wait for him at the threshing floor. Let me give you an a explanation of what the threshing floor is because we need to learn a little bit of the historical, cultural background of this threshing floor. This threshing floor, right, is actually where the men would gather after a hard day's work, renewing the grain. Right? It's like harvesting, where they, after that, and then they rest, the resting place after a hard day's work. They will eat, obviously, right, because you're resting, you want some food, obviously you need to have good drinks, right? And many will fall asleep there. After being so tired, you just lay down there and you just rest for the night. But actually, it's not a place where respectable girls go at night. In fact, right, in those days, the threshing floor at night was where the prostitutes would go to ply their trade. So it's not a place where a respectable girl will go. 
In fact, this is seen in Hosea 9.1, where Israel was rebuked for being like a harlot. Hosea 9.1 says, Do not rejoice, O Israel. Do not be jubilant like the other nations, for you have been unfaithful to your God. You love the wages of a prostitute at every threshing floor. Well, if you know this now and I know this now, of course Boaz would know this during his period of time. This place is not a place where Ruth, who is a respectable woman of noble character, should be at at night. That is why in Ruth chapter 3, verse 14, Boaz was very anxious, very worried. And he wanted to ensure that no one finds out that Ruth was at that threshing floor that night. If people knew, what would they think? Right? Terrible, what would they think? So, if you and I know this, for Ruth to be at the threshing floor that night, she's actually asking for trouble. It's like, not smart to be at the threshing floor because people associate behavior with girls who are at the threshing floor at night to, be, to want to pick up men. Right? Today, apps like Tinder or social media are used to hook up with someone else. But in the past, you just have to go to the threshing floor. So then you must scratch your head, you must be thinking, right? If you, why did Naomi tell Ruth to bathe, spray some expensive perfume, or at least some perfume, might not be expensive, and put on some pretty clothes? And then she says, wait until Boaz has finished eating and drinking before you make your move. Wow, this, what kind of advice is this? It really sounds like advice to either seduce a man or to swipe right on Tinder. What kind of advice? I mean, if you think about it, it doesn't make sense. Right? So the answer to this question actually can be found in verse 4. Right? When he lies down, note the place where he is lying, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. Wow, amazing, right? Women knows what the man will do even without the man saying anything. At least my wife will tell you that it's true. Lah. Before I can even say something, ah, that's what you're going to say, that's what you're going to do. I get caught without me saying anything. Right, but actually here, the Hebrew word means for the place for feet. In Hebrew, the word feet also is actually used as a polite way of saying or referring to one's private parts. Right, it's very sexual in that man- manner of speech, figurative of speech. Ezekiel 16.25 also tells us that at the head of every street, you built your lofty shrines and degraded your beauty, offering your body with increasing promiscuity to anyone who passed by. Uh, this NIV version of this verse, when it talked about offering your body in Hebrew, literally reads as spreading open your feet to anyone who passes by. So when used in Ruth 3, when used in Ruth 3, the advice of Naomi recorded in Ruth chapter 3, verse 4 is actually ambiguous. Right? What does it mean? Ambiguous, right? Does it mean that Naomi and no, Ruth un- uncovered Boaz's feet physically, you know, just taking out the blanket, because hot, uh, maybe the weather, 30 degrees uh, at night, recently the news come out hot, so uncover a bit, let the air flow through better. Does it mean that, physically? Or maybe does it mean much more than that? When you talk about this symbolism and all these words usage, does it mean much more than that? It's actually ambiguous. Okay, so we may disagree on which interpretation is more accurate, but actually, it's hard to deny that Naomi's advice was suspicious, was questionable. 
How can Naomi advise Ruth to do such a thing? It's still a bad advice, terrible. Her instruction to Ruth to do, to wash up, put on perfume, go at night, uncover people's feet, and basically it's asking Ruth to use her feminine beauty to get what she wants. It's very bad, terrible advice. But now if you were Ruth, you were in Ruth's shoes, huh? what would you do? Will you obey? Listen to your mother-in-law's advice? Will you too also scratch your head? Or would you say, no, I'm of noble character, I will not do it. Right, what would you do? In Squid Game, right? What would you do with the characters? Amazingly, Ruth obeyed her mother-in-law and carried out Naomi's instructions. Well, we've got a cunning Ruth here, character one. Character two, obedient Ruth, right? But we have poor Boaz, character three. He just want to sleep actually peacefully. People go and disturb him. You know, poor Boaz being tricked to, and being seduced by beautiful Ruth. So even if Ruth, right, was obedient, had this noble intention of sacrificing herself for Naomi, her mother-in-law, what she did was probably frowned upon in the Israelites' culture back then. I mean, in today also, maybe we will look at it like, and then our eyebrows will maybe go a bit closer and frown upon. But Ruth could have easily gone down in history as a failure. Failure in terms of her character, failure in terms of her actions and accused of seducing her way into Boaz's life. But instead, you and I here, we remember Ruth as the great-grandmother of King David. Right? If you know your history well, she is the great-grandmother of King David, and ultimately, King Jesus. Because the line of King David leads all the way to King Jesus. So how did that happen? You know, Suppose this lady, questionable actions, do funny things, end up being such a positive result. How did that happen? Well, to answer this question, I must bring you all the way back to chapter 1 of this book. It tells us that this book, this story of Ruth, is set in the period or time of the judges. Right? This is before King Saul, King David, where there were judges to rule Israel. And in the last book of the book of Judges, right, it tells us that in those days, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Right? His or her own eyes. Now, men did whatever they thought was acceptable. And I believe men and women both did questionable things, but they thought that they were right in their eyes. Which includes, of course, Naomi and Ruth. I mean, they were people living in that time frame. They did things that were right in their own eyes too. I'm wondering, how does this have any relationship to Ruth um, and even to our life and our understanding of God? How does these questionable things any relationship with our life? Well, to answer you honestly and really plainly, right, cut short all the explanation, it really directs us to marvel at the glorious grace of God. And what do I mean by that? To marvel at the glorious grace of God. In this dark period, imagine the judges where there were no pretty much rule, where men and women did questionable things, they did anything that they did was right in their eyes, God was actually still working out His good plan for the world. God was still preparing the way in the midst of all this evil or in the midst of all these questionable things. He was still working to prepare the way for King David and ultimately King Jesus. God was still at work. And likewise in our life today, maybe you and I have some things that we question or we meet or we hear of stories 
that are terrible, things that are done and said in church, you know, or even Christian organizations, our Christian friends, how can they do such a thing? How can they lie, cheat, backstab? You know, how can they do such a thing? Or maybe an example where you read the news, right, of a grandmother being treated um, using parasite infection medicine to treat COVID-19 on the advice of church people. Terrible news. Or a Christian colleague that you know of personally who have spoke unkind words of you, untrue words of what you have done. Totally not true. You and I probably will know if you are in church long enough. It's quite rampant. rampant. But the book of Ruth here does not excuse these things. The book of Ruth is real in that sense. He knows full well that even in Israel or even in the church, people did what they thought was right in their own eyes, just as the days when the judges ruled. Well, if, if you hear such stories long enough or you week after week you've been hearing such stories, I'm sure you and I will feel discouraged, especially if you go to work every day and you face such a person. You and I will feel discouraged. It's easy to think that there is no future, right, with this friend of yours, in this company of yours, in church, in cell group. It's easy to feel discouraged. But it's precisely in this period of time, in this dark time, that the book of Ruth comes to us as a beacon of hope. Right? In dark times, this book comes to us as a beacon of hope. He wants to encourage us and even help us believe that even in the days like the judges, even the days where people did whatever that they wanted, God was still at work. Right? Despite all these appearances, all this negativity, God is still at work and He's still sovereign. That's the first lesson that we need to remember. First lesson that we need to think of when we face with such discouragement. God is still at work. His good, glorious purpose for the church and for the world and you and me will not be put aside. Amen? Well, in this story of the Bible, go back, going back to book to Ruth, she had a tragic past. Right? If you read in chapter 1, she had lost her husband without bearing any children. She struggled to survive. She moved to a foreign nation with her mother-in-law. She was so desperate enough to throw herself before a respectable man. Right? She was not in a good position too. But what does this message, what does this story of the Bible convey? Is the story intended to encourage women to throw themselves at men? To secure marriage? No. Is the story written to teach single women to use their feminine beauty to find a rich husband? No. Nor is it to lead us to do questionable actions as long as they are for a good cause. Instead, Ruth chapter 3 teaches us of the amazing grace of God. It assures us that despite any past mistakes Ruth have committed, Despite the shame that Ruth has done, her story does not end in disgrace and dis disappointment. Instead, it offers us hope that the same might be true for us, for you and me, for everyone who trusts in God. In other words, God does not stop at our mistakes, but wants to redeem us for a glorious future. This is our lesson number two. Right? He wants to redeem us for the glorious future and not just for our own mistakes. This glorious message of hope really is one for you and me, our hurting world, people who have made mistakes, 
We need to hear this. We need to embrace it. Okay, God is a God that wants to redeem us for the glorious future. You know, many of us, you and me, including me especially, we have made mistakes in the past. Done something wrong, you know, be it a careless mistake or something that we don't intend to. It's still a mistake, right? Maybe sometimes it's questionable things too, like Ruth. Shameful, maybe, perhaps. But this message of Ruth that we are hearing today offers a hope. Offers a hope because she as a person has done something wrong, but she is chosen as part of the lineage of David and, and Jesus. So if God can redeem her, God can redeem you. God can redeem her past actions. God can redeem your past actions and mistakes. All can be redeemed by God. And really, it's really by God's grace there's still that possibility for a brighter future than anyone can imagine. So I pray, my family and friends here, I pray that we will not destroy or you will not destroy yourself with shame and guilt. But instead, you open your hearts, humble yourself, be honest with your own true feelings and emotions. At the end, receive this amazing grace, liberating grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because He, He has the power to redeem us for a glorious future. That's the message of what Ruth chapter 3 is speaking to us today. Right, so if you think about it, how about Boaz? Our third character, right? Poor Boaz, trying to sleep properly and then people play in the blanket, you know. I mean, poor thing, right? I mean, he just wants to sleep. Maybe he's the innocent one out of this, right? But we can learn something from Boaz too, right? It's actually his reaction to Ruth that we can learn from. Instead of reacting with anger because he knew what was happening, he knew that Ruth, you of noble character, how can you do such a thing? He could have reacted in anger to shame her, to make her a failure. But instead, he responded with grace and generosity. Right? Grace in verse 11 and generous in verse 15 where he gave that six measures of barley. He doesn't need to do it, but he was generous. Well, in this area of giving, there's actually a contrast between this take-home gift where Boaz gave that six measures uh, to Ruth as compared to Naomi. So in chapter 1, verse 21, remember I read, Naomi lamented that she had came back empty-handed. I come back from a, my foreign land uh, to back to Israel. I was empty-handed. But in chapter 3, verse 17, Ruth did not come, go back empty-handed to Naomi. Ruth did not go back empty-handed. The take-home gift here really represents a step or a turning point in Naomi's fortunes from emptiness to fullness. Right? So there's a play there. Naomi now is not empty anymore. In fact, she's, she's filled with that God's grace in her life. And really, this feeling of God's grace in Naomi's life started from Boaz's kindness and grace, right? If Boaz didn't do any of these actions of being kind and being generous, Naomi will not be filled with it. We can learn that, you know, we also can thank God for people like Boaz who are strong enough to show grace when others will actually shame, others will condemn, you know, find faults. And we also can thank God for people like Boaz, who are also kind and wise enough to treat us, not simply according to our misdeeds, but according to our motives and circumstances. 
people in our lives who are big enough to embrace some of our own mistakes, our weaknesses? Where would we be without such people? And maybe you have somebody, a good friend that has forgiven you, a boss that has accepted your mistakes. But really, if you ask, hey, hey pastor, real or not, how come I never met any of these people? Because in reality, there are really not many people that are like Boaz. People treat us worse than our mistakes deserve. They thumb us down. They find fault with us. They look at that mistake bigger than the, the good work that we have put in. It's common, right? You look around. Everywhere we can find such things happening. They will punish us in ways that are not even proportionate to our errors. I mean, we live in this cruel world. That is reality. We are all part of... We are also maybe contributors to this unkind world that we live in. But here in Ruth chapter 3, it really invites us to be, to be grateful for the Boaz in our life. Be that one person, the two person that you have met that was, that was kind to you. We can be grateful. We have a heart of gratitude to these people. Also, Ruth chapter 3, I mean, not just be thankful, right? Oh, so nice. Oh, this person treat me so nice. But we can, Ruth chapter 3 also challenges us and invites us to not just thank God for people like Boaz, but it challenges us to be people like Boaz. So we don't just thank others, but it challenges us to be the Boaz for other people. To show such amazing grace to people like Ruth, who sometimes with good motives do questionable things. Well, a story goes, right, that a man was asked to paint a boat. So he brought his paint and brushes and began to paint the boat bright red. Maybe that's my favorite color, so it's red. But that's how the story goes, as the owner has asked him. While painting, he noticed a small hole in the hull. When he finished painting, he received his money and left. The next day, the owner of the boat came to the painter and presented to him a nice check, much higher than the payment of the painting. So the painter was surprised and said, Oh, you already paid me for the painting, for the boat, sir. But this is not for the paint job. It's for repairing the hole in the boat. Ah, but it was such a small service. Certainly it's not worth paying me such a high amount for something so insignificant. Well, the owner of the boat said, My dear friend, you do not understand. Let me tell you what happened. When I asked you to paint the boat, I forgot to mention the hole. When the boat dried, my kids took the boat and went on a fishing trip. They did not know there was a hole. I was not home at that time. When I returned and noticed they have taken the boat, I was desperate, worried, anxious because I remember the boat had a hole. Imagine my relief and joy when I saw them return, returning from fishing. Then I examined the boat and found that you had repaired the hole. You see now what you did. You saved the life of my children I do not even have enough money to pay for your small good deed. What can we learn from this boat story, right? And painter story. First, we can learn from the painter to help others mend the cracks in their own lives. But you as a painter, you have the opportunity to help mend other people's mistakes and cracks. And in fact, you will never know the impact that you will make as you fix these cracks. You might not even have the opportunity or the chance to know how other people have lived their lives because of what you have done, the impact that you have made to help heal them, repair the cracks. And you can do so maybe perhaps not in big ways, you know, I'm not asking you to be a saviour or superman, but maybe to just listen to them, 
take time, pause, listen to people, wipe their tears away, hear their hurts. So no matter, you know, who, when or how, I believe you and I as Christians, we must continue to help wipe away, listen, and carefully, slowly repair these cracks in other people's life. Well, you you'll never know really, actually God is the one. God is the one using you to mend someone else's cracks. Someone else's mistakes can be used by you to repair or to mend. The truth is God works today through human relationships and friendships, right? You and me. Um, but human relationships are very fragile. We are all human and sooner or later, these relationships will be tested to a breaking point. Well, if you show me a relationship that lasts, and really I will show you that actually grace is at work. For a relationship to be strong, to be enduring, really a relationship needs grace. No relationship can survive without grace at work. Well, Ruth chapter 3 then invites us to be this channel of God's amazing grace in our life. For someone, someone who have crossed paths with you, someone you meet, be it at work, at home, or even in the streets, a stranger, God has put that person in your life. You have crossed paths with that person. And you can be that person to show that grace. You can be the Boaz to another person. Or people, you and I know, maybe you, the society see them as no hope, as people who are irrelevant, cancelled out, using young people term. You can be the Boaz to redeem them, to offer the grace from God. But what if, you know, Pastor asked me, Chan, real, right? If you keep giving grace, but people don't change. People stick to their old ways. They don't want to listen to you. They ignore you. You do your best, but they just kick you one side. No matter how much grace we show them, no matter how much faith we put in them, people at times we know do not change. That's how it is. Stubborn or whatever, the amount of grace we show them, they choose not to. But sometimes they do. And here Ruth chapter 3 is challenging us not to change them, but to offer to be the Boaz to them. You're not called to change them, you're called to be the Boaz to them. You're called to be the compassionate catalyst to change of change in someone's life. We can be the catalyst that Boaz was for Ruth, for Naomi. And by doing so, I believe it's a privilege, you know, it's a miracle, it's a joy to be part of God's plan, to be part of what God is doing to humanity, to heal, to reach out. And you and I have the privilege, the joy to be part of God's plan. Isn't that amazing? To end off the, the, the sermon and my sharing, there are two areas for us to meditate or to reflect upon. One, will you be like Ruth? Will you be like Ruth and allow God to redeem you of any past mistakes? Any questionable actions you have done, things that maybe you did out of what you thought was right in the past, you didn't know. God is here and ready to redeem you. God is here to offer that grace. God is here to be the Boaz to you. But also, will you be like Boaz? Will you be the Boaz to someone else and redeem another person's mistake, another person's 
maybe cracks in their life that you might not see it because it's so small, but it's there. You be that redeemer, that Boaz for someone else. So as we close in prayer, as we close our eyes and bow our heads, for those who are at home, will you just join us? And just reflect and meditate. Will you be like Ruth and say, Lord, here I am. I want to be real. I want to be honest before you. I cannot hide anything before you. You are the God Almighty. You are the gracious God. Lord, I'm here. Your precious son, your precious daughter. Lord, redeem me for the mistakes that I've made in the past. Will you just name them in your hearts? Just offer them to Lord and say, Lord, I surrender them to you. The words, unkind words I say, the hurts, Lord, I offer them to you. Or will you be like Boaz? You have someone in mind that you want to reach out, you want to help, you want to cover the mistakes, cover the cracks. Lord, will you help me and show me how can I be the Boaz to someone else? So Father, we come before you as your children, Lord. Lord God Almighty, Papa God, we come before you as as real, as authentic. Lord, forgive us for the things that we have done in the past. We are sorry. I am sorry, Lord. Lord, heal us, heal our cracks too, Lord, as we come before you. And as we go forth, may we also be like the Boaz to someone else. May we redeem, may we cover, may we be used by you in a mighty way for your kingdom. So Lord, be with us in this journey of growing, of love, of grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.